welcome to Grow Up, where we are healing the child within us while lovingly and respectfully raising the child that's in front of us. Are you ready? It's time to grow up. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. My name is Amy, and I am your host, and I'm so grateful that you're here today. We have an awesome interview coming up for this episode, and it has been a much anticipated one. Somebody that I've been following on Instagram for a while and have taken a course with, and I just can't wait to share Dr. Sarah Bren with you all. Um, before we get rolling on that interview, though, I just wanted to kind of give you a background. We're going to do a lot of talk about dysregulation and a lot of talk about the polyvagal theory. And this is a lot about brain science, which I know might sound a little bit heavy, but I promise you that listening to Dr. Sarah Bren is a breath of fresh air. She gives lots of visual analogies and it's pretty, you know, easy to follow along, even if you're not a science major like myself. (laughs) Um, But I figured during this time where Life is just popping off left and right. I mean, we can't go a day without, I feel like, something in the news that is just bringing us into some state of dysregulation. Um, Everything feels hard and heavy, and there's just a lot of changes going on. It's summer. If those of you with children, you're home with your children more often now, and there's just a lot going on. And I think all this coming on the heels of, you know, a pandemic that seems endless at this point. And a lot of us, you know, having children during the pandemic while it was raging back in 2020. And I don't know about you, but I feel like emerging from this cave of just being triggered constantly and dysregulation. I know so many more people are struggling with mental health issues these days. And, you know, we're kind of worrying about our children and, and how much they're absorbing. And, Um, I just think this is an overdue conversation of kind of brain science and how we can identify triggers and help our own regulation so that we can better show up for those that are needing support from us like our children. So I'm going to roll this interview and catch you on the other side. Enjoy. All right, everybody. Let's welcome Sarah Bren, Dr. Sarah Bren to the podcast. I should ask you, do you like to be called Dr. Bren, Dr. Sarah? It's so funny because like I I always am torn about that because like in my pa- in my practice with my patients, I just say call me Sarah because it's really strange to be like doctor blah, blah, blah. But I yeah, so you can call me Sarah, but okay. I also <laughs> go by Dr. Bren, sometimes Dr. Sarah. It's kind of whatever. It's so funny because I uh, I found you on Instagram and it's, you know, your account is at Dr. Sarah Bren. And then I took a workshop with you and there's something that's so um you're so relatable I feel like when I when I listen to you and I feel like even in the workshop you just seem so cool and calm and I'm just like oh yeah Sarah like we're like besties or something at this point but like then I'm like wait she is a doctor and needs to be respected as such so I wanted to make sure that you know calling you Sarah was you know okay but yes Dr. Sarah Bren everybody is on the podcast I am super duper excited to have her on um this is somebody that I've been following for a while now and then just, you know, through reels and different posts. I was just so interested in your content, which is pretty vast. I mean, we're going to talk a little bit more today about like emotional regulation and uh, polyvagal theory and stuff like that and in regulation, but that's not all you do. I mean, you always put out amazing content on, I mean, I just saw something recently about like prepping your kids to go back to school and, um, and I feel like just you being a mom 
it's just so interesting to hear like, you know, the psychologist part of you and then the mom part of you and you marry it so nicely and it's so approachable. I just find that I'm really drawn to your work. Um, so before we get rolling, do you want to kind of give us like a brief, quick background on who and where you are? I'd love to. Thank, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I, I really am so glad we connected and this is a great podcast. So, um, I'm glad to be here. And yeah, so I'm, I am a clinical psychologist. I'm a mom of two. My kids right now are three and four and a half, almost five. Um, so I deal with emotion regulation issues on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Um, and I do think that informs a lot of the work that I put out there. Like I, obviously I, I share what I know about psychology, child development, brain science. Those are like my favorite things. To, I love talking about brain science, which we'll totally talk about today. Um, and I think that's something that sort of sets me apart from like a lot of the parenting content out there is like, I love talking about the why behind what we're seeing from like a neuro neurological perspective. But I also think, yeah, I'm a mom. Like I do not pretend to project an image of parenthood that is perfect or clean or, you know, just lovely. It's so messy. I'm in it up to my elbows every day. And so I like, you know, I also really want to make sure I think this is sort of the like the filter that everything I put out goes through first is like, is a mom going to read this and feel worse about her parenting after she reads this? Or is she going to feel more empowered after she reads this or listens to this or whatever? Mm. Because it's great if I give you some strategy, but if the way I deliver it makes you feel crappy, then like, what's the point? What good does that do? People don't want to get better at parenting if they feel judged or if they feel like they're failing. And it's not, it's a really hard thing to get even some of the time, right? <laughs> like mm. parenthood is super hard. A lot of it is just kind of surviving it. Oh, I feel that so deeply. Maybe this is why it resonates so much with your work. <laughs> um, I feel like it's kind of like the basis of the grow up podcast, right? It's about everyone's always trying their best, you know, for what they know at this moment. And mm -hmm. I would say that every parent is in that same boat. Our kids are like that. They're doing the best that they can. They're showing you what they're capable of. And even as a parent, like there's so much more that goes into parenting than just, you know, oh, I want to be this kind of mom. It's all that other crap that you're dealing with on the inside as well. And all the stuff that yep. you brought into your parenting journey. And I think it's so important. Like you said, I mean, we, we could all sit there all day and say 10,000 things we've done wrong. And, and society likes to point out that, you know, stuff and life is so hard lately with everything going on in the world. And it's like, the last thing we need is to be shamed into like trying to make a change. Everyone is trying right. their best. And until they know better, they can't do better. So I love that you're just putting that education out there in a way that feels uplifting so that we can all know the why. And I, it's funny that you say that because the way that I learn best, and it's funny because I noticed this in my son, who's almost five, it's the why I love the why I didn't even know that I cared about brain science until I had a kid. And then all of a sudden I've like it's like my, my second passion. It's like my hobby passion. Like I mm -hmm. love brain science too. And it's, and it sounds so heavy. So for anyone listening, you're like, Oh God, science lesson. Like I hated science. No, it's like the understanding of why we do the things we do as humans, as parents, as you know, our children, why the tantrums go the way they go, what is successful, but getting the actual factual reasons. It's like so fascinating to me because 
as you know that, you feel like you can kind of cocktail your approach or try to understand your child a little bit better. And so I think maybe that's exactly why I'm drawn to your work. I just think it's mm-hmm. such an approachable way to get to the whys of what is driving the behaviors. And I just think it's so fascinating. Yes. And I think it makes us more effective and more confident, right? Because I think, well, two things. One, I'm like, okay, we sit here and we talk about like respectful parenting and responsive parenting and conscious parenting, which is amazing. And I'm all about that. But what do we do when we do that? We're all about trying to help our child feel understood, feel seen, get to the solution on their own through scaffolding, like through getting them, like, you know, helping them along the way without shaming them. Yet we don't do the same for ourselves. Like, right. Like we, we, if we approach and, and then if we model to our children, the way we treat ourselves, not being respectful, conscious, responsive, whatever you want to call it. And we're blaming ourselves and shaming ourselves and criticizing ourselves and being really hard on ourselves and having unrealistic expectations of ourselves. It's like, you can't parent in a way to your, you can't parent your child in a way that is completely incongruent with how you treat yourself. Mm. So it's like, and I do think sometimes parenting content can go a little bit too far in the child centric, you know, just, just focusing on supporting your child, just focusing on being totally responsive to your child. And that's a wonderful thing. And there's a lot of great content out there. And i put out content about that as well. But I think you have to balance it with like maternal mental health, parental health, um, reparenting, all that stuff, understanding our triggers, understanding self-regulation. So the workshop that you, you took of mine, be the calm in your child's storm. It's all about self-regulation and understanding our own nervous system and our own trigger responses so that we can calm our bodies down so that we can help calm our child down. It's like you really can't do responsive, respectful parenting if you don't do this sort of inner work simultaneously as you go. Absolutely. And I think that's such a huge part of parenting. And it's something that unfortunately for me, it's like, you know, it comes out or the way I came about realizing that is like usually the hard way, right? Like where you're so burnt out. And you're like, why? I can't keep pouring from this empty cup. And it's, you realize like, oh, because I am not attending to what's going on inside of me. Mm-hmm. And that's why your child will, you know, trigger you with something and you have this big blow up and you realize it's not just about what happened. It's not just about the blocks on the floor, right? It's about right. everything that you're missing inside of yourself and having to do the work on yourself first. Yeah. And like you said, the, the workshop, just for everyone listening again, um, it's called be the calm in your child's storm. And it just so happened. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know if I just saw the date and I was like, Oh, I can do this. And I signed up and it was like, I think it was an hour ish. Yeah. And I'm not kidding you. I thought it was going to be like, you know, like I said, like, so science heavy and it was, it was very informative, but I didn't want it to end. Like, I was like, wait, no, we're done. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> come back. I need help. Like, come back. It was, and I've taken several, you know, workshops on self-regulation and, um, Instagram lives and all. And I, and like, again, like I eat this stuff up. I'm really fascinated by it, but there again, like something about your workshop. And I think what really stood out to me and what I would really love to dive into is everything surrounding the vagus nerve. And maybe we can go into what that even is, um, for people who are like, what come again, um, mm-hmm. and the polyvagal theory, which again, is kind of just about that emotional regulation, right? And trying to like all the different um, 
you know, fight, flight, freeze responses and things like that. Because again, until you address that in yourself, it's going to be very hard to show up for your children. And especially even when they are dysregulated, right? So like in a meltdown tantrum where they are in their fight, flight, freeze, and it instigates your fight, flight, freeze. I mean, then just what we're in like a tornado of, of dysregulation. So yes. I don't know if you want to like, you know, bring us to like, you know, polyvagal theory 101 or how you want Yeah, sure. I think before we can do polyvagal theory 101, I feel like we first have to define dysregulation though, sure. because I think if we want to understand the systems that help us to regulate, we have to know what we're talking about. And dysregulation, when we say dysregulation, we're really just talking about, um, like you said, we're in a state of fight or flight or freeze. And people will sometimes say fight, flight, freeze, but actually, and we'll talk a little bit about this. There are two different systems. There's the fight or flight response, which is our sympathetic arousal, part of our autonomic nervous system. And then what Stephen Porges kind of puts forth in the polyvagal theory, poly meaning many, is that there's actually three branches of our nervous system. Um, and of our not autonomic nervous system. So there's what he calls, and these terms are going to be like a little heady, but um, I'll explain them. And I have a metaphor that I did not create, but I find very helpful for making them feel more understandable. But you have ventral vagal, which is sort of in the front of our nervous system. And this is like our safety, our connection, a parasympathetic arousal, uh, uh, yeah, parasympathetic arousal is associated with this state. Um, we're calm, we're settled, we're grounded, we're feeling connected to ourselves, we're feeling connected to others. There's a lot of sense of safety and connection when we are in ventral vagal. It's kind of the goal. Gotcha. It's kind of our homeostasis. Mm-hmm. Um, it's where our bodies really want to be. We are not always in this. Then there's um. Our sympathetic arousal or our fight or flight system. And this is where our bodies are getting ready to run for our lives or fight to the death, right? We fight or we flee. If we can't flee, we fight. Got it. And there's all kinds of things that happen in our body from a physiological level when we get into this state of arousal, like our body produces adrenaline and cortisol and our heart starts to pump blood to our extremities so we can run and push and jump as fast as we have to. And, you know, this is the state of arousal where like when the moms like flip the car off their baby, you know, like that is because they're getting a surge of adrenaline and cortisol is a stress hormone and adrenaline gives us this like tremendous access to our muscle you know, firing. And we just like have this sort of unbelievable super strength that can come out of us at times because all of this system is happening. Like, and there's lots of other things that occur when we're in this state of arousal. Um, and you know, obviously if there was a saber toothed tiger sitting across from us, we really want to be able to access this type of like response. Yes. But our brains haven't really adapted to our modern day world where stress and, you know, lots of things can trigger this response in us that maybe we have to double check and say, is this really dangerous? Do I want to be having this degree of a response? And you need a lot of mindful awareness to notice in the moment, hey, I'm moving into this state of like intense hyper arousal and I actually want to check and make sure 
do I really need to have this threat response? And see if I can shift it if the answer is no. And, you know, we talk a lot in the workshop about that. Like, how do we shift out of it consciously? Yes. Because we can, right? So a lot of this stuff is automatic, but we can shift it from a kind of manual. <laughs> we can put the car in manual and like get ourselves out of it. Um, but then there's this third branch of the nervous system, the autonomic nervous system, according to polyvagal theory, that's the dorsal vagal. So if you think of like the dorsal fin on a dolphin is back. So yeah. dorsal is in the back. Um, and this is our freeze or our shutdown response. And in this, it's basically like we try to run. If we can't run, we try to fight. If we can't fight, we play dead. Mm. Shut down. We dissociate. We disconnect from our bodies. We go numb. We tune out the world a little bit. Um, obviously, in cases of like extreme trauma, you mm. see this a lot, right? This sort of like I'm discon- dissociation disorders come out of um, extreme trauma. But even sort of not so it doesn't need to be a serious trauma traumatic event to bring you into this dorsal vagal shutdown it's any time that you kind of like move past that point of i i'm not going to get i'm not going to be able to fight my way out of this and i just shut down and some people have a quicker pass through you know these <laughs> these steps this what they call the polyvagal ladder um and so, you know, some people get stuck in, in freeze and they get into shutdown. Mm. Um, some people get stuck in flight. They're very anxious. They're very scared. They're very timid. You know, they want to run all the time and vo- avoid and hide. And mm. uh, some people get stuck in fight. They're really hot. They don't, they, they, they move straight from straight out of flight to fight and they get really prickly. And sometimes I don't remember where I heard this, but I thought it was such a brilliant way of describing kiddos is like some this, by the way, all of this I'm describing, I'm describing in the context of us as adults, but our kids do the exact, we all have the exact same equipment, right? Yeah. We are working with the exact same equipment. So our kids go through these stages too, when they're having a tantrum or a meltdown, um, or even in like, more subtle dysregulation moments, you know, maybe they're just running away from you when you're trying to put on sunscreen in the morning, like my kids, like that's dysregulation. (laughs) Um, you know, that my son will like, we are having such a battle with sunscreen in the mornings right now because it's it's so hard and like no hack is going to get me out of this. It's just, we have to figure out a system. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, um, after this going to draw a visual calendar for our schedule in the morning. Cause I think that that's going to help them of like, um, cause I have three and a five year, four, almost five year old. They don't read that. I'm not, I'm going to draw pictures, but basically I think we need something that's not coming from me constantly being like, next we do this and now this, and now I just need them to see it and have more autonomy. So we're going to give that a try. Um, but my point is when my son runs away from me, when I'm trying to put sunscreen on him, I'm looking at that as a sign of dysregulation he's got this, he's got this like icky anxiety. He not because he's afraid of sunscreen, but he knows he's doing something in defiance of what I'm trying to get him to do. And he cannot not, he can't stop himself. And he feels anxious about that dynamic. He knows that I'm, he knows that he's pissing me off. Mm -hmm. That is dysregulating him, Mm -hmm. which then pushes him to continue to do the thing that I don't want him to do, which is run away from me. And so it's like, 
this is what I'm saying. Like dysregulation is really contagious. Like as I get more frustrated with him, he gets more anxious and dysregulated and we are devolving in real time. So you're saying basically like, okay, so you're putting on the sunscreen. He doesn't, he naturally doesn't like the sunscreen as Mm -hmm. I hopefully can relate to. And my son as well being very fair skinned. I have my fair share of what I would say complex trauma or whatever with (laughs) my sunscreen situation. But the point is you're saying he's getting, you know, irritated. Therefore it's triggering your, where you're getting irritated. Mm-hmm. You're going down that kind of dysregulation tunnel because you're like, just get the sunscreen on. We have to get going or whatever the thing is. And then he's not necessarily dysregulated except that he's feeling your, like, he's like, I'm making mom mad. And that's why I feel dysregulated. So it's not, it's like the sunscreen is the trigger, but he's actually responding to your dysregulation is what yes. you're saying. Oh, 100%. Wow. oh, what an interesting way to look at it. Cause Yeah. I I mean, it's like, it makes sense when I break it down, but you're right. Like there's so often as a parent where you're like blaming the thing, thinking that like you're keeping it all together and they must just be this mad about sunscreen, but no, maybe they're reacting to you getting upset about the thing, right? Like they're, they're picking up. Cause didn't you talk about in the course too, about like mirror neurons? Yeah. Yeah. Something that really blew my mind too, where it was like about how like, like, I think you equated it to something like if, if there was a, you know, a saber tooth tiger or something, you know, way back in the day and you see every single other person start to run away, you're not going to take the time to assess the situation. You're just going to mirror what's already going on and also run. Is that kind of like the deal? Yeah. Like we have these neurons in our brain that are, det- they're create, they're literally the function of them is to detect emotions in other people and ha- and elicit that same feeling in us. So mm-hmm. um, like if you're laughing and like cracking up, what happens? Mm-hmm. I start smiling. I start laughing and cracking up. Like it's this conteat, like those are mirror neurons working, right? Similarly, if you're, if you flinch and like look over to the side with like big eyes and like, I see your heart rate, or not, I can't see your heart rate, but like, if I see your like breathing stop for a second, mm-hmm. my brain is going to just automatically read that emotional response in you and I'm going to feel it too. Yes. And so it's a it's a safety mechanism. It's a evolutionarily based like way that we stay alive as a species and we stay connected as a species. Like it's got kind of a dual purpose. It keeps us it helps us survive from like a da- like avoiding danger perspective, but it also helps us to survive cuz we are connection based animals. Like we need connection and a support system to survive also. And so having that ability to like literally feel one another's feelings and, and have that emotional attunement to one another helps our species survive also. Like, I mean, that's part of the basis for that connection in parenthood, right? Like that attachment that we, that we, you know, the theory of attachment that we're sort of biologically hardwired to form these deeply emotional and meaningful attachments to the, to the people who are most likely to keep us safe, mm-hmm. keep us alive. Um, and we as the parent are are sort of the parts of our brain that shift in pregnancy and shift in parenthood because um, our brains do change. Like structurally, our brains are different after you've had a baby. Wow. Um, the parts of our brain, some of the parts that change are the parts that allow us to you know, like be very tuned into our child's emotional cues. Wow. So we're 
like we're very emotional animals and mirror neurons are a big part of, I think, how our brains are able to do that. So that it makes a lot of sense then if you're feeling dysregulated and you're start to boil up while you're going through something with your child, they sense that now they're triggered because they're making you kind of lose your cool in a way. And then they're going to go into their response of fight or flight. Mm-hmm. Ah, yes. Okay. Wow. That's so fascinating. And I think as we were talking about those different parts with the, you know, um, the ventral vagal, the dorsal vagal, vagal, sorry. And like the sympathetic, is that what you said? The sympathetic, mm-hmm. yeah. so the sympathetic, I remember you kind of doing a visual and, and for all my visual people out there, I know it's, you know, sometimes words can be like, what, but that one to me, it was like red, like it was like hot. Yes. And then the, the dorsal, which you said was kind of like the, like the downshifting a little bit, like where you're almost like depressive more mm-hmm. than aroused. that dorsal vega was almost like in the blue. Yeah. It was like, so, so for my brain, it was like hot versus cold is the way that, like yeah. I, you know, and so that's just something to think about as we're talking about these things, we're like, okay, which one was, which, um, that when you were hyper aroused in that fight and flight mode, it was like the red. And when you were downshifted into the hypo arousal, you were in the freeze response or in, in the blue. And is that also like, I know nowadays they're throwing around a, a term fawn. Is that the same as freeze or is that? In- so it's different. It's so fawn is another threat response. And it's when you um, like do you're very, very like doting and kind and, and trying to like excessively meet the needs of someone else in mm-hmm. out of fear. Ooh. Um so, and you might be unconscious, right? It's not like you, you're necessarily saying to yourself, I'm really afraid. I need to try to be super nice to you to keep you from being so scary. You might be thinking that, but sometimes we do that kind of unconsciously as well, where we just are really, we're really like using our sweetness and to like kind of like manage another person's emotions. Um, like people to keep ourselves- yeah, it totally can. Um, and I think it could be taken to even more extremes, you know, uh, yeah. wow. but it's on that spectrum for sure. And, and I think, you know, this, this whole, so the, to the color, yeah, the thinking about it, um, I sort of, I, you know, lots of people have used the, the, the different metaphors to explain this, um, I was pulling from Mona Delahook's work. Mona Delahook, she wrote the book. Um, now I'm like, she wrote brain brain based parenting is the, her most recent one, but um, beyond behaviors is uh, the first book she wrote, and it's they're both great books. Mm-hmm. Um, but she ex- sort of outlines this sort of green, red, blue kind of way of breaking it down. So green is ventral vagal, red is the sympathetic, hot, fight or flight, and then blue is sort of this shutdown. Um, And I think it's helpful to, I'm very visual, and I think kind of those colors do kind of fit the tone and like the 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 heat and the coolness, right, of like those those energetic spaces, if you will. Um, So I think that's a helpful way to to think about it. And in the workshop, I think the visuals help. It's hard on a podcast to, to draw the diagrams, but I think, um, yeah, if you can sort of imagine what those colors sort of elicit in you, that makes, I think they, they kind of paint that picture a bit. Yeah. What's wild is earlier when you said people always lump in fight, flight, freeze. I mean, I was so that person, like I was like, Oh, and when you brought that up, that 
they're actually different that, and, and, and then I think somewhere along in the workshop, I don't know if we had to kind of see, you know, the traits of each and decide maybe where we function from or what we normally go to. And before that, I always thought that I was kind of like a, a, a flight person. And then in through the workshop, I was like, oh my God, I'm in freeze. Like I actually go to that blue area so often, um, which was like a total, I was so mind blown. Cause again, like I mm-hmm. thought they all were kind of coming from the same spot. And so for me, I would have thought like, oh yeah, like I've, I'm flight, you know, cause I know that I'm not fight. I've never been, I like actually kind of hate confrontation. So for mm-hmm. me, like the idea of, you know, verbally attacking or physically, I mean, not saying I can't get there under the right, you know, mama bear will come out if she needs to come out usually about right. fun or my family members, things like that. But like, I pretty much function in freeze. And that was a very, very like insightful thing for me. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize that I'm actually hypo aroused. I thought that I like, I, cause I, cause I also have anxiety. I, I have, you know, clinical anxiety, that kind of thing. So I'm like, oh yeah, I must be the hot one, you know, mm. but it's funny because I'm like, no, when I think about when I get triggered, what happens to me? Like when I really get triggered, it's like, I am kind of like the retreat. I like everything to be like cozy and like go inward and like exactly like that freeze. I I have so much like disassociation. I have like parts of my, you know, childhood that I feel like I don't even remember happened because mm-hmm. I think I was dissociated then. Um, it's just a very interesting thing. And it's funny because even you just now talking about it, like describing it when you talk about it and it's like, I get this like urge of emotion. Like I get this kind of like, Ooh, like every time, mm-hmm. like it feels like heavy. Yeah. So it's funny how like, it's like, I don't know if that was like the part of the workshop that really like, it like really hit me and it really sat with me that like, wow, I didn't realize that it was like that state that I was functioning from. Yeah. And, and why do you think it is that like as parents or caregivers in any capacity that you would think it, like, why is it good to kind of know your, if you're red or if you're blue or, or is there like, I mean, can you be both in different circumstances? Does one yeah. lead to the other? Like if you're flight, does it, are you easier to go into fight or, you know, I, I guess I'm just, yeah. Like why is it good to know that stuff? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think it's, it's important to know that we're never one, just one thing. We have patterns and we have like, obviously you have neural pathways that bring you more quickly to a certain spot, right? These well-worn paths that are familiar to your, you know, your, your brain chemistry. Um, but we move through, like if you started to really track your day, you might realize that you're moving in and out of all of these at mm-hmm. certain points throughout the day. But you might find in doing this sort of paying attention mm-hmm. that you get stuck in mm-hmm. dorsal vagal or blue. Um, and so that's knowing that that's where you might get stuck. It's helpful to then know, well, what are tools to bring me out of blue and into green? Um, if I know that I tend to get stuck in red, I lose my cool. I flip my lid. I scream. I, you know, whatever, slam the doors, then having tools that are specifically designed to help me calm my body down and bring me back down into green. Mm -hmm. So if you think of like greens in the middle, 
Reds yeah. above, blues below. You, yeah. you need to like help yourself come back down from hyper arousal, or yeah. you need to bring yourself back up from hypo arousal. Yes. And so knowing where you get tend to get stuck, and frankly, we need tools for all of these places because sometimes we're in hyper arousal and sometimes we're in hypo arousal. This is normal. It's not, it's not bad. The goal is never to be in green all the time. That's just not a realistic expectation for ourselves. We're human beings. We get mad. We get sad. We lose our shit and we get numb. These things happen. Um, They're totally normal for us to move through these places. It's about getting stuck. That's the part that we want to pay attention to. And also if we notice we're like, always getting into these places very fast. And it's hard for us to come back down to that like sort of homeostasis, that like mm. ventral vagal or green space. Um, and so things like, but also again, like you got to know what is happening in order to have the right response. Because if, if you're numb and dissociated and your goal is to, you know, calm down, you're not really going to be touching much there, right? Like you actually want to feel engaged. You want to bring yourself back into consciousness and that conscious state may be angry and that's okay, right? Like it sounds like for you were saying like, I don't even like confrontation. I don't like to be angry. That's not a safe space for me. Then that might be a harder place for you to be comfortable being. And so you might be more comfortable getting stuck in this. I should, I just, I skip right over that and go straight to numb or checked out or zoned out or disconnected. So maybe assertiveness is actually the thing that you need to get more comfortable with. Like saying, no, I'm not cool with that. We need to sit and have a conversation. This isn't going to work for me in an assertive, maybe even aggressive way. Like aggression isn't necessarily bad. Dysregulated aggression is not particularly effective. That's problematic for everybody. Um, Though we all enter into that space sometimes, but the goal is, can we have regulated aggression? What does that look like? Is there a safe way to say, I don't like that. You need to stop. Mm. Um, I, too. Yeah. Mm. I want it. Like I, I always say this, give this example, but like, I remember when my son was at daycare, really little daycare, like just starting to talk daycare. Mm. He, they would, if like kids hit, they would always teach each other to say, no, thank you. And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> If someone is hitting my child I, or if my child's hitting another child, because that's totally normal, I want them to be able to say, no, stop. I don't like when you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I need space, right? Not no thank you, right? Like that, I I think we're, we're, we're afraid sometimes to teach healthy, aggressive assertiveness to our children. I don't mean aggressive in a dysregulated way. I don't mean screaming and pushing and, you know, but I'm saying firmly, and clearly saying, stop. Right. Because when you say no, thank you, you're still kind of appeasing in your boundary holding. You're still kind of saying like, I'm going to say this nicely, but like sometimes like you need to, like, it doesn't mean say it harshly. It just means be clear. Right. So, we want to teach kids that uh, how, how to, how to communicate in a way that the insides, their insides and their outsides match. Mm. Right. Like if I don't like something, if someone is hurting me, on the inside, I'm having a strong response to that. And if my outside language is super soft and ambivalent and wishy-washy, like, I no, guess. thank you. Um, my insides and outsides aren't matching, right? And that's 
not helpful communication skills. This is so mind blowing on so many levels. First of all, you totally called me out in a good way when you're like, maybe you're uncomfortable being angry. So you go into numb. I'm like, oh, wow. I've actually worked on that with my therapist. <laughs> um, you're right. Cause it's hard. Actually, it is hard for me to access anger a hundred percent. Even if well, something- for a lot of us, we were not allowed to be angry when we right. were children. So this is where I was going with the next point that you just brought up. I said in today's society, you know, and, and I pride myself on being a feminist and raising my son to be a feminist and all those things. But like in today's society, women were, you know, it's like, again, you have to be nice about the way that you say no. And, you know, that type of thing. And I'm not saying boys weren't taught the same thing, but I would say overwhelmingly, that is something that little girls are taught, right? Mm -hmm. That you have to appease and you have to be nice about it. And you play in this little arena and you don't really act angry because, you know, and, and that can go into a thousand other things or when women get angry, you know, they get discredited or ignored because they shouldn't be acting that way. Whereas when men act that way, it's totally normal. They're just being boys or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so it's so fascinating to hear you say these things. Cause I think you're right. I think it can be generational. And I think it's so important to know where we're going from here so that like you can check yourself and say like okay no I need to get clear about like well, okay so I go into my numbing phase and I know that instead of just taking deep breaths which is what I would normally think oh I'm I'm triggered I need to take deep breaths well no my triggering goes numb I go numb mm -hmm. so instead of taking deep breaths I actually need to realize my feelings and speak up for myself and that's mm -hmm. going to get me back to green you know and I think it's so important to have that kind of knowledge of your own psyche when you're raising your child and helping them find their own voice about how to appropriately express anger and feelings and that it's not bad. Like you said, dysregulation is bad if you're going to live there and you're going to be hurting somebody and punching them. And that, I mean, of course we have to redirect that, but being angry or being assertive, like my son gets really, um, he loves to joke around, but when, when he's over it, he'll just start freaking out. Like he'll just like hit and, and, and I'll say, okay, I understand that you're mad, but you can say, I don't want to joke, you know, be, and be clear. Yeah. And so that, what really gets to him for whatever reason is if you like joke about his name, if you're like, you know, his name's Vaughn, if we say, oh, Va, or, you know, we like call him something else. And he's like, that's not my name. And he gets like really upset. And my son, my husband does it sometimes joking. Cause sometimes my son thinks it's funny, but sometimes he'll get really mad and he goes into fight. And it's funny because I've had to give him the tools to say, dad, it is not time to joke. I don't think mm -hmm. that's funny and be really direct about it. And it's funny because yeah. as a parent, like if I would have said that I would have wanted to like crawl in a hole and die because, you know, I could never have like raised my voice, but it is important to let them use that anger to be clear about their boundaries. Yeah. You know, and that's just such a, that is such a huge parenting little nugget of wisdom there. I just think that's so fascinating to hear. Yeah. About. And I think that's the revolutionary piece to like the terminology. I don't know what you call it these days, responsive, respectful, conscious yeah, parenting. Mm -hmm. The, I think the revolutionary part of it, frankly, that will raise a healthier generation of human beings is the honoring of the feelings of broadening the scope of what feelings are allowed and yeah. what feelings we talk about and what feelings we coach kids through. Yes. Right. Can we coach our kids through anger? Yes. Can we coach our kids through fear? Mm. Can we help them stay in that feeling and not turn it off? That's hard. It's very hard for parents to coach their kids through fear. 
Yes. Right? Because, because we, you want to fix it. Because it's contagious. I'm afraid too. Who's going to help? I don't, yeah. yeah. But we want to make them not, we're afraid of fear. So we want to take the fear. We want to convince them this isn't scary. You don't have anything to worry about, you you know, and you can certainly reassure your child when they're afraid, but can we also help them sit in that fear? Yes. You know, one of the things I do a lot, I work with a lot of parents whose kids have anxiety. Um, There's a type of therapy that we use called SPACE, um, which is it's an acronym. It stands for Supportive Parenting for Anxious Childhood Emotions. It's amazing. I'm like super excited about it. It's out of the Yale Child Study Center. Um, and it's really relatively new um, type of therapy, but it's been shown to like be as effective as cognitive behavioral therapy in treating child anxiety and OCD, except the child doesn't participate in the therapy at all. It's just with the parents. And the best part is, is it for me, because I do so much work with parents of really young kids who really are too young to participate in therapy, but maybe have anxiety. Space is fantastic because I can do work with just the parents and treat the child's anxiety. But one of the things that we teach in space is this concept of a supportive statement. This is all Ali, Ali Leibowitz created all of this. He's awesome. Um, he has a book called Breaking Free of Child Anxiety and OCD which kind of outlines the space protocol. Um, but so supportive statement is validation, naming the feeling, acknowledging it. This is scary. You, this is a hard feeling and communicating confidence that they can cope with that feeling. I know that you'll be able to handle this. I know that you will get through this feeling. Um, and they could be any combination of how you want to say it, but the, the, point is you have to have both at the same time. We can't just reassure our children, reassure our children, reassure our children. Um, We also can't just expect them to be able to handle everything and handle and handle and handle. We have to do both. And if you do both together, it's really powerful for a child because it's like, yes, this is hard. I see that you are scared. And I know that you can handle this uncomfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. And I'm here. But you're not taking it away from them. You're not rescuing them from it. Mm You're not leaving them alone with it either. You're sitting right beside them. But I think that is incredibly powerful. And I think that's a very good example going back to what we were talking about is like, how do we coach kids through all the feelings Mm -hmm. and in doing so model for them that all the feelings are safe, are okay, including anger, including aggression. Um, We don't need kids to just be happy. Yeah. And I think it's easy sometimes to like, you know, with sadness where you like see your kid crying it's okay to cry. Like, you know, a lot of us with our young sons are trying to encourage our sons to cry and feel sad because we, we recognize the toxicity and like that dynamic, you know, that maybe we were raised under that boys don't cry and all these things be tough. But I think where it gets really difficult and I'm just speaking from my experience and my, my circle of friends and, you know, my own parents and things like that is realizing that anger and aggression is actually okay. Mm-hmm. And that fear and anxiety is actually okay. Mm-hmm. It's when it becomes disordered that, you know, there'd be an issue, but you can sit in anger and you don't have to not be angry. Like the, the, the point of sitting with your children in these feelings is not to get them back to green necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's to sit with them when they're in red and sit with them when they're in blue and, and kind of be that scaffold, right. To kind of believe that they can find their way back to green when they are moving through that emotion. It's not to stop them from feeling mad. It's not to stop them from feeling, you know, sad. Right. 
Well, here's my only tweak to that. Yeah. Is the red and the green and the blue do not refer to particular emotions. Ah. Um, they refer to the state of regulation when experiencing any emotion. So I can be, we can oh. get dysregulated when we're excited. Right. Yeah. Like we can like, and a lot of kids do a lot of kids. I have a couple of kids in my practice who bite when they're excited. Mm. And so that's actually red, even though it's a quote unquote, happy emotion or a positive emotion. So it's not so much about, so I'll, I'll tweak what you're saying. We, we do want to help our kids move from red to green yes. or from blue to green. But that's not by saying our job is to move them out of a feeling, uh-huh. out of sad into happy, out of angry into happy. Um, it's to say you can be angry and in green. Mm-hmm. You can be angry about something. You cannot like something. You cannot be okay with something. And feel calm in your body, calmish, right? Not There's a window here. It's a, it's a range, right? We're probably not in the Zen, tranquil, like <laughs> kumbaya state. We're probably agitated, yes. but we can be kind of on that edge or we move into red, but then we can come back out of it, like mm. sort of with some ease and grace versus mm. getting stuck in it, right? A meltdown, a tantrum that's kind of getting stuck in red. So it is our job to help them move out of it, but through co-regulation through, and because think about it, the ventral vagal is akin to safety and connection. We can facilitate that experience of safety and connection. Even when our child's angry, our child can be angry and feel very unsafe and dysregulated. Our child can be angry and feel very safe and connected to. So Mm -hmm. that's the point. Like the emotions kind of live parallel to the, this polyvagal ladder. Wow. That I, I mean, I, my mind is exploding. Um, <laughs> I feel like everybody who's listening is probably under this, unless they're in brain science themselves are probably like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense because yeah, instantly you think anger, bad fear, bad. They must be the dysregulation ones. No, it can be like happy stress, like something good that's going on, but you're still stressed out about it. So it sends you into this trigger. Right. Um, that makes so much sense. Even like you think about kids who are like at a birthday party, having the time of their lives and they start bounce, like acting like insane. And you're like, why is my kid hitting someone? They're having fun right now, but like, they're so dysregulated by, the happiness and the excitement that they go, like you said, and the stimulation, right? It's a lot. Yes. Wow. Okay. That was just like a total, wow. I mean, I, I don't even think I have words. That was just like a perfect, um, yeah, I guess I was totally, as I was picturing the colors, picturing like red is mad and, you know, like blue is sad. Mm -hmm. Yeah. True. That's just not true. Yeah. How fascinating. So by knowing our triggers, or getting in touch with our triggers or feeling our body enter into these states now that we kind of know what is what and figuring out a way to either arouse, you know, ourselves out of the dorsal vagal spot Mm -hmm. or, you know, de-escalate out of the red zone to try to get back to green, regardless Mm -hmm. of the feeling that we're feeling that will help us regulate ourselves, but it also will help us get into a quote, proper headspace, if you will, or, or, or a, a stabilized headspace 
to help when our child is also entering their own version of their, you know, heightened and hypo, you know, arousal. Exactly. Yes. And that's like the superpower we have in parenthood because, because dysregulation is contagious, calm is also contagious because it's all kind of that same system, right? If I can help you feel safe and connected to and understood um, and contained, mm-hmm. you're going to come back down. Might mm-hmm. take a little while. Every kid's different and they need, some kids need a lot of runway. Some kids can swip, move in and out of this more easily. Mm-hmm. Um, I have one kid who can move up and down this with so much, just it's like he's butter. He just kind of moves oh. in and out of this. He's very, he's just good at that. His nervous system is accessible to him in that way. I have another kid who gets real stuck. She gets so stuck in the red zone. Mm-hmm. And it's really, it takes a tremendous amount of time for her to come out of it. Mm-hmm. And I have, I am honing my skills on a daily basis, oh, trying yeah. to figure out the best way to co-regulate with her, knowing that it's okay if it takes 40 minutes. Sometimes it takes 40 minutes. Sure. Um, And so, and that's the nervous system she's got. And knowing that each child's co-regulation is going to be different, right? There's no answer of like every child wants, you know, deep pressure and a hug and the closeness or space, like everyone. Mm -hmm. And it might even vary maybe from situation to situation. Is that just something you have to kind of figure out with your kid? Okay. Yeah. Cause I think about like different types of stimulation is going to cause different types of arousal or hypo arousal, depending. Um, I think it's, you know, typically, typically kids are usually moving more into red and we have to pull them out. Um, through helping them to calm their bodies down and to feel safe again. Some kids really do go into the dorsal vagal. They go into freeze. That's, that's typically happens more if there's, if, if they've spent too much time in red and red hasn't gotten them where they need to go and they've learned it feels better actually, if I just turn off, um, but that doesn't automatically mean that like if your child is, if you notice that your child is in this freeze or shutdown response that like you've done something terrible to your child. It just means if you're seeing that, like it's probably worth getting some support around that. Like it's probably worth um, either talking to them or seeing if you can talk to a professional to just get a read on it. Because sometimes that's just a kid's nervous system and sometimes it's a learned response and we want to understand why they're learning that. What's What connections and associations are they making? What what meaning are they what meaning are they putting onto experiences that they're having that are leading them to that sort of shutdown state? Because mm-hmm. um, that's worth kind of unpacking for a kid if we're seeing that in childhood. Absolutely. Gosh, this has been so... I mean, absolutely mind blowing. I just feel like, and honestly, for those of you that are interested in the be the calm in your child storm workshop that I took, um, it's, I mean, I was in that and this is what we just talked about was still so beneficial. So (laughs) it's not like you just got the workshop and you're like, Oh, don't need to do that. No. Like if you were interested in this, if this gave you like one nugget of like, Oh, wow, never considered that. Or I want to deep dive more into that. I cannot recommend Dr. Bren's work more. I just find her account amazing. 
Um, I know that this is not the only workshop you have. I know that you have tons of other good stuff. Um, do you want to just let us know kind of anything else you're offering in terms of workshops or where we can find some resources with you or anything like that? Yeah, sure. So the Be the Calm in Your Child Storm workshop is it's a very good deep dive into self-regulation. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like a, I took this piece from a more comprehensive course I have on tantrums. And I really kind of fleshed that out in this workshop. But if you are also like, so that's, I, w- I would always suggest people start there because that's like the foundation, right? We can't really manage our kids' tantrums if we don't have this understanding of how, what's going on in the brain and body and how we can become. Cause it's hard, really yeah, hard to stay calm, really, 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 really hard to stay calm. <laughs> and then, but if you want to understand more about how to help your kids to calm down, how to manage a tantrum, how to help a child who's melting down, who is getting dysregulated often, then I would, they, the, my tantrums course, the science of tantrums would be a really good place to get. Um, It's much more comprehensive. It's like, uh, it's like six modules and I kind of break down the neuroscience um, and then like what to do before, during and after tantrums and at discipline and all that stuff. So that's worth, if this stuff resonates with you, those are two things that would be helpful, I think as a resource. And then I have a podcast called securely attached where I yeah. talk about all this stuff. And, um, so that's another spot where people can get a lot of just, you know, resources about parenting. And I love talking about regulation, but we talk about all kinds of stuff on there too. Yeah. And you can get my Instagram too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Your Instagram at Dr. Sarah Bren. Sarah spelled with an H Bren is B R E N. Um, And that's why I think I just love your stuff so much. I think you go into like this factual science base, like you said earlier, it's just so the way you explain it, I don't know if it's because you're visual, I'm visual, the way you explain it, I'm like, okay, it like hits different. It just really stays in there. So um, I've been really looking forward to connecting you with you for a long time. And this did not disappoint. Hey. I feel amazing Aww. conversation. And um, yeah, definitely everyone, I will link um, some of her resources on my link tree on my page and definitely check out uh, Dr. Sarah Bren because she is the bomb as you now just figured it out. So Aww, thank you. Thanks for coming on. Welcome back, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that interview I had with Dr. Sarah Bren. Like I said at the beginning, I know that there's a lot of hefty science stuff involved in all of our talk, but I just really hope that you were able to latch on to a nugget or two of wisdom from her. I know I sure did. And I had already taken that course with her and follow her work, but to have this conversation was just a whole nother, you know, mind blowing layer. So I feel every time that I am able to work with her directly via, you know, either this podcast or with the workshop, it has really been something that has transformed the way that I view dysregulation and has really been something I can carry forward into my everyday with myself and my triggers and also with my son, who, as you know, if you're a longtime listener of the podcast, is um, that kind of lightning bolt child that is just on a hundred all the time and can definitely, you know, trigger me with how active and loud and all the sensory components that he craves all day, every day, which can send me as a highly sensitive parent, you know, just right through the ringer. So 
I hope that you found something in there that you can latch onto and carry forward into your lives as well. And I hope that, you know, you can do that work of looking inward and getting curious when you start to feel yourself getting into a triggered state, no matter what emotion you're feeling. And maybe you can start to identify which branch of that, you know, polyvagal theory you're falling under and then kind of get yourself back to regulation. So um, if you need to check out Dr. Sarah Bren's work, I'm going to mention it again. It's at Dr. S-A-R-A-H-B-R-E-N on Instagram. And she also has that amazing podcast that's called Securely Attached. And there is an Instagram account for that as well. It's at Securely Attached Podcast. And she's the host there as well. Um, don't forget to pop over to her Instagram and click on the link for some free resources or to check out her courses. And um, yeah, so the course that I took was called Be the Calm in Your Child's Storm. But again, if you're looking for something more directed at um, the tantrums that your child is experiencing and how to support your child, um, definitely check out her tantrums course because that is full of amazing info. And again, she's just so approachable and easy to understand. And I just can't say enough good things about Sarah. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for being patient. I know this uh, podcast is getting released a little later than I normally would have liked. But um, yeah, I'm just glad you're here and I'm glad you're following along. And I appreciate all the ratings and reviews if you would take a second to do that as well. If you need to find me on Instagram, it's at grow.up.ig, or you can always shoot me an email at thegrowuppod at gmail.com. I would love to hear how all of this talk about dysregulation and triggers is landing for you, and let me know all the stuff that you're working on at home with your family or with yourself. Until then, keep doing the work, and I will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you.